I have an agenda here this morning. I'm just going to be frank with you. I'm just going to lay my cards on the table. I've got an agenda here this morning. What I'm going to do with my time this morning is agenda-driven. And the agenda is this, that you would put your spiritual gifts to use. All right? That is what I long to see happen. That's what I'm preaching into this morning, that you would put your spiritual gifts to use. Last week, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been working our way through this letter. And last week, we saw in chapter 12, specifically in verse 7, where it says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This statement is jammed, packed with truths about spiritual gifts. The first is that every believer receives at least one gift. It says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Every believer, every follower of Jesus, if you know Christ, he has given you a gift. The second thing we see is that the giver is the Holy Spirit. It's not that you're particularly awesome or that there's something in you that is extra stellar. No, it's just that the Holy Spirit's given you a gift. That, and so the, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. And the final thing is that it's for the common good. It's to build one another up. Why does he give these gifts? He gives them for the building up of the church. The Holy Spirit gives them and everybody's got one. And so we're going to pick up on that this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to continue in chapter 12, starting in verse 12, and it'll also be on the screen. The Apostle Paul goes on to write, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, un- and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I've got a simple outline for us this morning. First, we want to look at the implications of the image of the church as one body. He's just been talking about this This analogy that the church is like a body with many members. And so we want to look at the implications of that image. And then second, we simply want to discern gifts. How to discern gifts. 
right? I have an agenda here this morning, and it's that you would use the spiritual gift that God has given you. So we want to be clear about how you might do that. So first, the implications of the image of the church as one body. Here's the first implication we see from the text. We see a case for unity and diversity. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul is saying that the diversity of people who come to faith in Jesus, the rich and the poor, single and married, old and young, black and white, Korean and Dutch, always have to go there. It's just fun. Though many become one, though diverse, are unified. And that's exactly how the human body works. So just the people of God, when you gather a church like this together on a Sunday morning, there's diversity, there's the generations, there's different socioeconomic status, there's different ethnicities, all of that, yes. So there's diversity. But on top of that, we're seeing in this analogy about the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit that there's a diversity of gifts within the diversity of the church. It's quite a diverse group, and yet we are one body. Eyes, ears, mouth and nose, different parts, one body. Thumbs, pinky toes, kneecaps, and funny bones, many parts, one body. And Paul wants us to see that we are many parts that make up one body, and not just any one body, Christ's body. Last weekend, I borrowed my neighbor's 34-foot ladder uh, to, so I could put up some Christmas lights uh, on our house at the peak of, uh, up to the peak of our roof line. And when I say I wanted to do that, really I mean my wife wanted me to do that. And so it's obviously what I mean. And so I uh, got the ladder up, but my wife wasn't home and one of my sons wasn't there. So just it was me and my six-year-old. And he didn't really want to help me. And so, and fair enough, it was a very tall ladder. And so I just said, if you hear dad fall, come outside, get the phone out of my pocket, and here's how you dial. I showed him how to dial 911, and he looked terrified, and I realized that was a really bad dad move, but a classic dad move. And I said, you know what, forget that, just run to like a neighbor's house, and they'll know what to do. And so he went inside and did who knows what, and uh, I was outside, and it was raining a little bit, and the grass was pretty slick and on a bit of a slope, and I just, I had to get to that peak though, you know? So I set up the ladder, and I was really regretting that one of my neighbors wasn't home so he could like hold the base. I even was like YouTubing, like, am I doing this right? Just gotta make sure everything's right. And they're like, make sure someone holds the base of the ladder. And I'm like, I, I just gotta get this done, right? And, and by the way, I think you all know this about me, like I read books for a living, right? That, and talk. <clears throat> and so this is out of my realm of expertise, just laddering. Is that what you guys call it? Is that what you call it laddering? Okay, I think so, right? Yeah. So anyways, I was climbing the ladder, and, and so I'm working my way slowly like up the peak, and it's like it's getting more and more terrifying. And finally, I've got the ladder extended like 30 feet or so. Did I mention it was raining and it was on a slick? Okay. So I'm up there, and I'm just climbing up, and it's like I came to all of a sudden, and I realized I'd been talking to myself for who knows how long. Like, this is so stupid. Why are you doing this? Like, you're gonna die up here. Like, I, was, I caught myself saying all this stuff because I'm standing on this ladder and holding, you know, a light and then trying to, like, clip it and I'm just feeling like... Anyways, I got it done. Obviously, I lived. And so I came down. I go inside. I'm done this. And I'm just... My whole body ached from, like, stress. 
I was so stressed out. Like, my whole body was hurting. And Emily came home, and literally she said to me, she's like, are you going to leave them like that? That's what she said. <laughs> and I found that, like, super uh, disrespectful. Uh, a, they looked amazing. And then... Uh, uh, B, I was like, yes, that's, they're staying that way, and actually they're never coming down. We're going to be like the year-round Christmas light people. And I just realized, you know, like, yeah, okay, I'm climbing a ladder, I'm mainly using like my legs and my hands, but like my whole body, my mind, my wordage, everything was like invested in this project. I mean, you all know this, right? You ever stub your toe? Is it just your toe that reacts? You stub your toe and instantly you start hopping on one leg, you grab the toe with both hands, and then you do something like this, like, ah, right? Like, you're just, ah. like everything's invested in what's going on. And Paul's trying to show us, yeah, 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 I, right, a body. I'm showing you this because, yeah, it, it's, it's the big toe that is suffering. But when that happens to the big toe, you're one body, and so you all suffer, right? You come in the house having not died on the ladder and your whole body's rejoicing, right? Like, so that's kind of the sense of, and traumatized, you know? Thanks for letting me work that through. But see, we're like, we're a diverse bunch, baptized into one body and drinking of the same Holy Spirit. In other words, a local church is a collection of people who have come to faith in Jesus and been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Paul has a local congregation in mind here. He's speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's speaking to us. We should have in our minds our local church, many members of one body with different roles, and everyone with a role. He's not being theoretical. He's being highly practical here. So now we're a diverse bunch with diverse gifts. That's the first thing we see in the image of the body. Here's the second. I want to make a case against inferiority, because really that's what Paul is showing us in this text. Look at what it says in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. You know, it's kind of got like this Eeyore, like, oh, I'm not a hand. You know, like it's kind of just got that vibe to it. Or because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. You know, this is this inferiority complex in what's being said in this analogy of the body. This, this, this comical image of one part of the body being like, I'm not an eye, so I'm not the body. You know, it's like, what? Of course you are. I like, so it's this inferiority complex going on that he's trying to show, and yet... Do you ever feel like your gifts are small or inconsequential, right? Or like your contributions are so small and insignificant that, man, they don't even really matter. The reality is that every member of the body is needed for the body to function. Every member matters. You have an indispensable role to play in the church. And I don't know that we always feel that way. And I get it. On Sunday morning, there's like just a few of us maybe overtly participating. 
And yet we're all called to participate, and even outside of the Sunday gathering where there is so much going on and so many people are using their gifts, but even outside of the Sunday gathering, there's life group gatherings and there's youth ministry and all these things going on and mercy ministry, outreach, like all kinds of gifts, and all of those gifts are needed. And yet if we're not careful, we kind of look in on a Sunday morning and go, well, my gifts are inconsequential. And we feel like inferior, but You have an indispensable role to play in the church. You need to know that. Paul wants you to know that. Jesus wants you to know that. Even if you falsely concluded that you're dispensable, the head of the body, Jesus, has declared that you're not. Here's the gospel reality. The most presentable part, the head, Jesus himself, was willingly dishonored so that the least presentable parts, you and I, might receive honor. The strongest member was made weak and dispensable in order that the weak member, you and I, might be considered indispensable. You think your gift is dispensable to the church? Jesus doesn't think so. He became dispensable so that you wouldn't be. Jesus was dishonored so you could be honored, so that you could receive salvation. And as a seal of your salvation, the Holy Spirit gave you a gift of grace to contribute for the common good of the body. The third thing I wanna say from this image of the church as one body is there's also a case against envy going on. Not just inferiority, but envy. Verse 16 again, if The ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It's tempting to think, oh, I I wish I had their gift. You ever find yourself doing that in the church? (sighs) I wish I had their gift. Where would that get us? Paul wants to show us in, in the analogy where that thinking would get us. A body made up of a thousand eyeballs wouldn't be a body at all. In the words of Tom Schreiner, it would be a grotesque monstrosity. So where does envy get us in the church? Envying each other's gifts, it would, if we could have our way, would ultimately get us to the point of being a grotesque monstrosity. But instead, it says in verse 18 that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Earlier in verse 11 from last week's text, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, what's being said is everyone's gifts If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a gift, and everyone's gifts are sovereignly assigned by God, and therefore in his wisdom as well. Meaning there's a reason you are gifted how you are and how you aren't. I don't claim to know what those reasons are, but I can venture a guess on a couple of them that we can, because of God's sovereignty in giving gifts how he sees fit, we can trust that one, God is giving a diversity of gifts to the church, right? 
So, okay, part of what he's doing and why he gifts us with different gifts is because he's meaning that every part of the body would be made up to make one whole, the church. And so many, many parts, many, many differing gifts are needed. That's one of the reasons why we're given these varied gifts and we're, each one of us are given the gifts we're given. And I think this, another reason would be that like in everything, God uses our circumstances to grow us. He gives us challenges that, that build our character he gives us joys that bring a closeness to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Like he, he puts in us particular gifts because he wants to achieve particular ends in our lives and in the life of the church. And so envying the gifts of others is like wishing you were a third ear on a body. Meanwhile, wanting the body to go without a kneecap. It's like, we don't need a third ear. We need two kneecaps, you know? That's what the most helpful scenario would be, right? So we wish we were one thing, but to the detriment of the part we actually have to play. So don't just know who you're not, but know who you are and use your gift. It's how God's made you, and it's the gift he's assigned to you. And the fourth thing that we can say, fourth implication of this imagery is a case against, case against superiority. We talked about inferiority and envy. We also need to talk about superiority because in verse 21, it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Like just, it's ludicrous, right? That kind of thinking, especially since the eye is always needing the hand to like bring something to the face so they can actually look at it. How often do we do that? I mean, the hand is really integral to the eye. Like lots going on there. Like it's, these are really important. How could we ever say such a thing? And yet the body analogy now turns from envy and inferiority to superiority. The pride of thinking of ourselves as better than others or more faithful Christians because of our gifts. See, the church in Corinth, a little context, the, the, the letter was written to the church in Corinth in the first century, and the church in Corinth became obsessed with the gift of tongues. It's like they were a YWAM base or something, you know? And so, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Okay, <laughs> because of the, right, there's, this, there's, this, there's this, there's something that happens with the gift of tongues, which is this kind of wonderful and astonishing, right? There's this astonishing nature to tongues that, that you don't necessarily get with the gift of administration. You know what I mean? Like the gift of administration, we all praise God for it. And yet there's not this like, wow, the spirit is here, right? With administration. Maybe there is, I don't know. But when the gift of tongues is in a, is in a kind of communal gathering and people are like, wow, the very presence of God, is, it's kind of this astonishing wonderfulness to tongues. And, and the Corinthians were quite captivated by it. They were obsessed with it. And so that was the context of what was going on, where you don't quite get that sense with the gift of helping or generosity or mercy per se. And so what they began to do is they began to look down on those who didn't speak in tongues. In other words, who weren't given the Holy Spirit dispensed gift of tongues. They began to look down on those. And Paul's seeking to correct this error among the Corinthians. They were looking at their gifts as a benchmark of spiritual matur maturity. That's the key. That was the error. They were looking at their gifts as a benchmark of spiritual maturity. And this can be a temptation for us as well. Listen, I have the gift of preaching and teaching to some degree. And so I love to study the Bible for long periods of time in order to teach it. And I could take that gift and I could elevate it as the benchmark of spiritual maturity and what loving Jesus really looks like. If you don't study and explain the Bible like I do, then you just must not love Jesus. 
What's going on when we do that? Again, we're equating spiritual maturity with the exercising of a specific spiritual gift. You see the error? Let's try it a couple different ways. There are those with the gifts of helping and mercy who can visit the sick and care for the needs of those most vulnerable in the church. And they could take that gift and elevate it as the benchmark of spiritual maturity and what loving Jesus really looks like. And they could say, you haven't visited this sick person in our congregation this week? You must not really love Jesus. Or there are those gifted with words of wisdom and knowledge who can speak into someone's life with an incredibly timely word from God. And they could take that gift and elevate it and look around at the rest of us and say, come on, guys. Why don't you receive visions and spontaneous words from God for people like I do? Do you even know Jesus? Like there are gifted evangelists who get on a plane And evangelists tend to love planes because they have a captive audience for multiple, the duration of the flight, that person is seat belted into the tube, like beside you. And so the evangelist is like, this is ideal. In in fact, they're like, middle seat, please, because then I've got like the dual, right? And so if one of them chooses to sleep, I've still got one, right? And so they're doing that and because they just, they love to share Jesus. And they see, man, this flight is an opportunity for me to share Jesus. Meanwhile, there are Christians boarding the flight with like their little like pillow cushion thing around here. They put their headphones on and they try and sleep the whole flight. And the evangelist is like, are you even a Christian? The people beside you probably don't even know Jesus, right? What have they done? They've, they've elevated a spiritual gift of theirs to say this is the standard for Christian living. See, we need to be careful, yes, not to neglect our gift or to envy others' gifts or to elevate our own gifts. At the end of the chapter, verse 29, it says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, this is interesting. If we're to earnestly desire the higher gifts, it sounds kind of like there's a hierarchy of gifts. And so then maybe there are some gifts that are superior, right? So what do we do with a verse like that when I've just been trying to say, you that, say to you that every gift matters, everybody's gifted, every gift matters, there shouldn't be superiority, and yet now he's saying that you should seek the higher gifts. How do we interpret that? Well, I think what's being said is that the higher gifts are simply those that are more edifying to the church. Do you see in the context of Corinth, he lists tongues last in that little list? It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list nonetheless, and he lists tongues there. He's trying to show that there are gifts that actually edify the church more than that gift. And that we should actually seek not higher gifts for hierarchy, but we should seek higher gifts because our striving is always, Holy Spirit, please use my humble gift, but the gift that you've put in me to bless this church as best I can. That's what's going on here. And in no way are those who possess these higher gifts a better person better Christian or more spiritual. Every Christian has a gift and every one of them matters. Okay, so you may see that that's what Paul's doing with this analogy of the body, but you may be asking, okay, listen, I come to church. 
and I'm just not really sure like how to get involved. I'm not really sure what my gifts are. And so where do I go from here? Because this does feel a little bit like theory, but I need it to be practical. So let's spend the remainder of our time with simply this, how to discern your gifts. I'll give you three um, ways that you can try and discern your gift. The first thing I would say is pour yourself into the life of the church. Pour yourself into the life of the church. See, some of you worry so much about what your gift is that as a result, you get distracted from actually doing ministry. This kind of, I think I need to sit on the sidelines. I don't know what my gift is yet. I can't get involved over there because if I get involved as a youth leader, what if my gift is actually over here in right, street outreach ministry? So I, I just got to wait it out and I got to discover my gift. And then once I've discovered my gift, then I'll get involved. But it just doesn't work that way. You know why it doesn't work that way? Because this is a body analogy. This isn't just a single member going rogue. No, this is, the, this is a body. It's immersing yourself into the life of the body. And then it's an opportunity to then discover Ministry. See, on the flip side of, of, of waiting, distracting yourself from ministry, trying to discover your gift, if you're involved in the life of the church and serving others, you're exercising your gifts even if you don't know what they are because you're immersing yourself into the building, upbuilding of the church. And as you do that, your gifts get used and you discover them more accurately. See, there's also this sense of, I don't know if you've ever said this or heard this before, you're like, hey, would you be able to help and serve in this area? And someone's like, well, that's not my gift. Well, that's not my gift. Um, we, we do need to kind of cushion all this a little bit with the reality of this. See, look, we might not all have the gift of evangelism like the dude on the plane, but every Christian is called to share Jesus with others, Right? That's just what it means to be a disciple. We not, might not have the skill to do it in front of a crowd like a gifted evangelist like Billy Graham, or we not, might not have the giftedness to do it one-on-one -on -one, as some evangelists have, but we're all called to share Jesus. We might not all pray five hours a day like those gifted prayer warriors among us, but every Christian is called to have a relationship with God through prayer. We might not all give away 50% of our income like those with the gift of generosity, but every Christian is called to give sacrificially. We might not all have the gift of mercy, but every Christian is called to be merciful as we have received the mercy of Jesus in our lives. And on and on and on we can go. See, there's also a misconception out there that if you discover your gift, then ministry will be effortless. There's that misconception floating around that like, if I just could discover my gift, then ministry service, using my gift, if I'm in that zone, if I, if I use it in the right way, then it'll be effortless. And I just want to tell you, no, it's not true. It's just simply not true. See, some have a helping gift, but can I get really frank with you? Sometimes people who need help can be a real challenge. So you might have the helping gift, but you're constantly helping people who need help. And some people are challenging when they need help. So your gift will get challenging. Some have a prophetic gift, but sharing a word of rebuke, no matter how loving you're trying to be to the person, can cost you personally and at times be devastating or demoralizing or make you question ever sharing difficult truths with someone ever again. Given truly this prophetic gift and a prophetic word said in love, but that is just not 
received. You take a personal hit for things like that. A couple years ago, we did a marriage retreat up in Whistler and Mark Clark, pastor of the Village Church, was our speaker. And I got to know him a little bit in preparation of that retreat. And I had this assumption about Mark, just because of the way he preaches. He preaches with a lot of energy, and he doesn't really look at notes. He's kind of, it, it seems like it's just like fresh in his mind, and it's almost coming to his mind as he's saying it. It's almost like kind of just this ad-lib thing. And I was just like, man, like it seems, his preaching just seems effortless. But then when I got to know him a bit and asked him a little bit about his process, I realized, oh no, he actually just works a lot harder than I do at it. <laughs> it was a little bit convicting. He's like, no, I write out my sermon on Friday nights, word for word, manuscript it. And then on Saturday night, I don't go to bed until I've memorized that manuscript. And that's why I can go up on the stage without notes. And I can look at people as if it's just coming to mind and just flowing my mind because I've, it's all there. I've done the work. And so we can't say, oh, look, look how good he is at preaching. It's so effortless for him. I wish I could find my gift and then it would be so effortless for me. No, it won't. It will require effort, but as you give your effort in your gifting, believe me, you will get joy. It'll be worth it because you will sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your ministry. The Holy Spirit fuels your gifting and you will sense that as you serve him in it. And the church will be edified and blessed through it and that will bring you joy. So yeah, it, it's always gonna take effort, even when you find your gift, but it will always be worth it. So my encouragement to you is to pour yourself into the life of the church because it's in the context of the body that you discover your part. Second thing I would say in terms of how do you discern your gifts is see where the church has a need and try and fill it. So yes, pour yourself into the life of the church, but as you immerse yourself in the life of the church, you're just gonna kind of have this insider view and you're gonna see, oh, there's kind of a short shortcoming there, or, oh, there's sort of a need over here, or we don't do this very well, or we lack this. And as you're immersed, pouring yourself into the life of the church, you're able to see from the inside where the church has a need, and you have the opportunity to try and fill it. I actually legitimately think this works 10 times better than a spiritual gift assessment. I, I think this is a, 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 a superior approach because it's the approach of seeing a need in the church and trying to fill that need for the good of the body. And what's the reason that we're given spiritual gifts, by the way? Remember, for the common good. So as we see a need, then, then the natural reality is if that need were met, the church would be blessed. And so, so the approach to discovering gifts is to see where the church has a need and to try and fill it and watch God meet you there. That's the reason God gives people in the church a diversity of gifts, so the diversity of needs in the church can get met. So pour yourself into the life of the church and then see where the church has a need and try and fill it among that people in that community. Don't be afraid when you feel a desire rising up in you. Go for it. Some of this is all just trial and error, and that's okay because it comes from a desire to meet the needs of God's people, and that's a good thing. He loves your desire to partner with him. So go for it. But I think you and I both know whether you've observed church for the most part from afar or whether you've been in church for a good long time, I think at some point the local church is just simply, frankly, going to let you down, isn't it? At some point, every local church will let people down. So what do we do then? Leave it? Maybe. 
If the circumstances are extreme enough, yeah, maybe. But by and large, for the most part, when a church lets you down, the best solution is not to leave, but to invest where it's weak. So I, I've chatted with people before who, um, I'm like, hey, I haven't noticed you here for a few weeks. And they're like, oh, yeah, we left. And it's, hey, okay, well, you know, talk to me about that because, you know, we always want to sharpen, we always want to grow, and if we're doing something poorly, like, we want to learn from that, just, you know, right? And, and some, whatever it might be, whatever the thing might be, let's, let's, let's just say they, they arrived and they said, well, you know what, like, I just didn't feel welcomed. I did not feel welcomed there. And to me, hospitality is such a big thing. And, and I just didn't feel like, like people cared about me. So, so in, the, in that illustration, what's going on is this sense of, I really value hospitality, but I, I didn't experience hospitality when I came to your church. There's two solutions there. You can leave and find the really hospitable church that already has 19 eyes. <laughs> or you can be like, you know what? By and large, this is a good church. And I really value hospitality and care and making people feel warmly welcomed. And I, I think this place could grow at that. So I'm going to plug in and I'm going to be that like super annoyingly happy welcoming person. <laughs> whatever, whatever, I don't know. I'm just going to like love people. I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to make them feel valued. When they come in, they're going to be so loved. They're going to be so cared for. See, it's where the church is weak that they need your gift. And actually, I, I heard a story of just the opposite recently. I, I heard a story that we found out recently that some people have been coming back to our church these past few weeks. They're new, and they've been coming these past few weeks for one simple reason, because they were greeted well. And actually, studies show this exact same thing. Most first-time church newcomers decide whether they'll come back within the first two or three minutes, long before the first note of the first song has ever been played, way before that preacher guy gets up there and says all his stuff, they've already decided whether they'll come back or not. What does it have to do with? Do these people seem to care? Are they warm? Do they say hello? That's precisely the reason why people stay. And, and just recently, some people have kept coming back because they were greeted so warmly at our doors. Praise God for that gift being exercised among us. I love that. Third, there's a little bit of a criteria here for discovering your gifts. Three words, eagerness, enjoyment, and effectiveness. Eagerness, enjoyment, effectiveness. What are you burdened for? What are you like, oh man, this thing matters so much. What are you eager about in the life of the church? That's a, that's a helpful indicator of where some gifting might be. So when you hear that somebody's sick and you, you feel a passion to, to, to pray for their healing or to go and visit them, maybe you have right, this, this helping ministry, this care ministry, or maybe you have a, 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 a healing gift. Someone voices confusion about something and you sense a word of wisdom. Oh, I just feel, ah, I have this eagerness. I think I need to share with this person this, 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 this word from God that might, might be an encouragement. You may have the gift of words of wisdom for them. See, discovering what you're eager about in ministry can help you discern your gift. Secondly, enjoyment. One of my greatest joys in church ministry is connecting those with ministry passion to ministry needs. We have some people in our church that put, pour in like hours and hours and hours to like care and visitation and just making people feel loved and where there's outreach opportunities and stuff. They're just pouring themselves in. And, and once in a while, some of these folks will come to me and say, 
you know, Pastor Matt, thank you so much for the privilege of visiting our seniors. And I'm like, thank you for that. I know, I know they're pouring hours into that, dedicated every, like all of that visitation. And I'm thinking, but because they get so much enjoyment from it, they're actually thankful. And I'm like, what are you talking, don't thank me, I thank you, like what you're doing is amazing. We're so thankful for you. But there can be that synergy when, when you love something so much, then you have energy for it, and that ministry you're doing isn't killing you. It's actually life-giving to you. See, discovering what brings you joy, enjoyment in ministry can help you discern your gift as well. And the third piece is also important, effectiveness. Is there a measure of effectiveness in your gift? See, sometimes what happens is there's a real eagerness and a real enjoyment, but literally no one's like, thank you so much for doing that. There's just not the feedback loop of like, that is a huge blessing. Like they're not receiving that because there actually isn't a lot of fruit. They might think it's something that for them, they're eager for and have a lot of enjoyment in, but every once in a while we have to assess, is this fruitful? Is there an effectiveness to this? Like if you think you have the gift of healing, but no one's ever been healed, you might not have the gift of healing. So sometimes our sights actually get set on something we're pretty eager and en- about and enjoy, but that doesn't seem to be very effective in building up others. We may need to redirect our sights. Now, just as a concluding story, I want to tell you about uh, Pastor Chris, our children and family pastor, because when he started getting involved in um, in church ministry, he was kind of like, you know what, I'd really like to be a preacher. And by all accounts, he is actually a great preacher. But at that time, as he was just starting to get immersed in the life of the church and serve, he was like, you know, he's kind of thinking like, I'd really like to preach. And he went to the church and was like, hey, I'd like to serve. And they were like, well, kids ministry has a need, as every church in the world tells everybody. We could use you in children's ministry. Right? And he was like, right? kind of reluctant about that. And actually at that same time, he was driving in a vehicle and there was, he was listening to this radio preacher and the radio preacher was like, do you think you're too good to do children's ministry? And Chris was like, ah, I think I do, right? And so he just was like, I'm going to do this. And so he started serving in children's ministry. And of course, he started to actually be quite eager about it. He had a lot of time for it, and he started to really enjoy it. And then family after family, parents were coming to him and like, man, the difference you're making in my child's life is really significant. Like, thank you so much. And so, he, and then he just kind of grew into that. So some of his sights just got shifted, and all his eagerness, all his enjoyment was coming from this area that he never really even imagined for himself, and such ministry effectiveness. And I just know, speaking as a parent in our church, and so many parents in our church, who have kids in our children's ministry are so thankful to God for Pastor Chris and his passion and gifting in raising up young disciples to spend their whole lives on Jesus. See, discovering where you have ministry effectiveness can help you discern your gift. I just really want to invite you to explore those things. And as we close, verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And that's exactly right. Paul is saying that the church is the body of Christ in the world. The church in Corinth was the body of Christ in Corinth. This church is the church in this community, to this community. We are 
Christ's body to the world, our unity in diversity, our varied gifts being used as an expression of our service and love towards one another, testifies of Jesus. Oh, how you are needed. You are so needed. You are so, so needed. And as all of us invest in, we represent Christ's body who lay his life down for us. As we dwell on the gospel here for a second, we see that the Son of God died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could receive forgiveness and adoption as sons and daughters of God. That's the ultimate spiritual gift, right? What Jesus accomplished for us in the gospel. That's an incredible message. That's, it's life-changing, and it's worthy of our lives. So the question I want to leave us with is this. How will our church reveal Jesus to each other and our city? And the answer to that is this. As those of us who have experienced the self-giving love of Jesus use our spiritual gifts as a conduit to express that same self-giving love. So I want to invite you to trust in Jesus this morning. And I want to invite you to lean in and exercise the gift the Holy Spirit has put in you when you first believed. For the good of the church, as a compelling witness to the world, and in joyful response to the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Jesus, you made it this way, that we would be your body in the world that we would serve one another, that we would play varying, diverse roles, that we'd get a lot of joy in doing it, and the church would be built up through it. That's our desire. Jesus, I just pray for us this morning. Lord, would you reveal our gifts to us as we immerse ourselves in the life of the church? May we recognize we are gifted by your Spirit and given that gift to bless the body. Would you do so in and through all of us? In Jesus' name, amen.